Good morning, everyone. Um, this morning's Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 36. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the parts of of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of all that we and of all sorry, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my, to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Jesus Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It is a joy and privilege to share God's word, as always. Uh, Royden is not here. Uh, he went to join in uh, Reggie at the uh, induction as, as rector. Um, so I have, um, I'm in charge today. Uh, so, <laughs> so we'll be out by 12 o'clock or so. <laughs> the power of a black preacher. Um, 
just to say, so a couple of things that, that has been encouraging for those of you who do not know me, my name is David, I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Christchurch Midland. One of the things that I get to do is uh, our student ministry, uh, and that's such a joy. And just to say that uh, for the last couple of years, um, we have been struggling to get onto campus. Uh, there has been um, the move from the university against Christianity. Uh, and not to associate their brand with uh, Christianity. But through all of that, uh, we have been uh, able to constantly uh, pester them, uh, constantly be there, uh, and finally uh, they are giving in, uh, but uh, they are calling us as well to come help uh, with um, some of the things and issues that students are facing. Uh, so last night, myself and Kathy and some of our, our guys from the team I went to, to, to Pearson, um, which is, it's just across the mosque, that side of, um, uh, of Glen Austin. Uh, and we went to, to just talk about masculinity, uh, and to uh, the Cairn Crisis Center in Kathy. We're doing training on, uh, gender-based violence issues, uh, and all of those, um, uh, things concerned with, um, abuse. Um, so that was such a, an incredible time that finally, we're getting into a res. And finally, we have an audience. Finally, we've been called to come speak to these people and we can share the gospel. So yesterday I was sharing on being a servant uh, to about 100 and 150 guys. Kathy was sharing uh, with the ladies. I think there must have been uh, about 400 students hearing the gospel uh, and hearing uh, where we stand with regards to issues uh, that concern our society. So just put your hands together for God because he's, uh, he's at work um, in, spite, in spite everything else. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to get into Acts chapter 2. I hope that you still have your Bibles open to Acts 2 verse 14 to 36. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that this morning we get to hear you speak to us. Uh, so I do pray, Father, wherever we are coming from, that we would free our minds and prepare our hearts to hear from you, uh, that you'd uh, do something in us that we cannot do in of ourselves. So please help us by your spirit uh, to open up our ears uh, to hear your word and to open up our hearts to receive it as a word from you and not men. This we pray in your name and for our good. Amen. Uh, so two weeks ago, um, my son, uh, who comes to the school, um, it, it was midterm break, and so it was, um, they take a break from about Thursday uh, till the next um, Tuesday. Tuesday. And so Eddie invited us to come with him to the farm, and I've always had stories of uh, of farm and the snakes in the farm, so I wasn't looking forward to it, but I braved it, and I took my two kids uh, with me and joined Eddie on the farm. Needless to say that it was an incredible time there. Uh, you can imagine it's out in the wild, uh, there's no electricity there, um, there's uh, um, all sorts of animals roaming uh, around. Um, I had to go on... I, I, went on the quad bike. It was just fantastic. Uh, one of the things I kept thinking as I was alone in the in the wild uh, on the quad bike was, man, I hope I don't get charred by a leopard uh, out in these things. Um, there's leopards, there's kudus, there's impalas uh, around. It was uh, such a lovely time. In fact, so great wa- it, it, was it that I brought a souvenir that Rafa is going to um, uh, to bring to uh, to me right now. It's just behind there. 
Uh, I brought it with me, and I've always wanted this um, uh, this thing, and I wanted to bring it so that you can see how impressive this is. Brace yourself. <laughs> These are the horns of a kudu. How impressive are these things? So impressive. I've never seen, I had never seen them this close up. I've always wanted uh, to own one. So I asked Eddie uh, if he could give me, if he knew of um, any horns lying around. Uh, for those animal lovers, I did not kill this animal. <laughs> it was already dead. Um, <laughs> just a disclaimer. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a live kudu before. Um, in real life, it is impressive. It is marvelous. I love the symmetry of uh, the horns. I love the crookedness of it, the, its beauty. A kudu itself is like bigger than a, a, a cow. Uh, I still remember when I was about 15, I ventured into the bush and I was not expecting, because uh, a lot of the wild animals in um, back home died out, I was not expecting to see a kudu. I had never seen one before. I was so impressed uh, and so breath, um, uh, breathtaking uh, at the side of this thing. Now, uh, the reason why I brought it to stage um, is because the reason I love it um, is because of this phrase that my forefathers, uh, the Twana people, the great Twana people, might I add, um, coined. Um, as they observed life and as they lived with gurus roaming around, uh, they came up with a very powerful phrase uh, about a person. Uh, and this phrase says that a person is like a kuduhon. He's crooked and twisted, and he's not like the outlay of the land, the layout of the land that you can study and know with certainty. Let me say it in Setswana, uh, because I love hearing Setswana, uh, and also because we're keeping with the theme of Pentecost and speaking in tongues. Um, <laughs> this is what the phrase says, Motu. Uh, and you almost have to twist your tongue to, to say that, uh, that is crooked and twisted. You can never know a person as you know the outlay of the land. You can go on the N1 and you'll know N1 North will lead you to Pretoria. But a person is unknowable, a person is unpredictable. Um, if you live long enough, you'd know that this is, this is true. Uh, you'll see crookedness in your own life. Uh, you see it in the lives of those who are close to you that you trust, that you never thought they would do that, uh, but they did that to you. Uh, you'll see it in, as you sit with people and hear their stories, you'll see this crookedness uh, that my forefathers spoke uh, about. Humanity is like the horns of a kudu. It is crooked and twisted. Uh, so much life experience, uh, so much wisdom in that, in that proverb. Um, on the one hand, if you pay careful attention to what this proverb says, on the one hand it is affirming, it's saying something that we cannot know a person, yet on the other hand it says you can know a person. You cannot know a person fully, but on the other hand you can actually know something of a person, and what you can know of a person is that they are unpredictable and that they are crooked. Humanity, like the Guruhon, is crooked and twisted. Now at the end of uh, this sermon that Peter preaches in chapter 2, have a look with me at chapter 2 verse 42. Peter get, gets up and preaches to the crowd 
And lastly, he exhorts them to, uh, in, in this way. He says, save yourself, chapter 2, verse 42, save yourself from this crooked generation. One of the things that this uh, proverb affirms is what the Christian story has been saying all throughout, uh, that humanity has the propensity towards brokenness, crookedness, uh, and corruption, uh, that left to its own devices, uh, humanity will choose evil over good. Uh, it will choose to bring pain instead of bringing healing. Uh, humanity will choose to put ourselves at the center of it all instead of putting God uh, at the center. Humanity has a propensity um, towards sin, uh, brokenness, and corruption. Now, I have another picture that I want to uh, bring to us uh, so that I connected with half of the room. I want to connect with the other half of the room. I wonder if you know what this thing is. Um, you probably, some of us have uh, played balls before. Um, I'm told, um, I don't know this, um, but some of my best friends are old white uh, people. <laughs> and I'm told uh, by them that um, if you look at this ball, it's, it's quite perfect. I don't know what shape this is, not round, not oval. But this shape, you cannot, it is quite symmetrical. Um, but what you may not know, if you don't know how to play the game of balls, uh, is that one, of, one side of it uh, is weighted. Uh, so if you roll it, if you leave it to its own devices and let momentum do, do, um, to do its thing, it will always tend to the weighted side. Um, in fact, that is apparently how the word bias came into uh, the English language uh, through the game of balls. That if you roll this thing and leave it to its devices, it will always fall on the weighted side. And I think in many ways, this is so true of humanity, isn't it? Uh, that as we come here this morning, we look so well put together. We look so perfect on the outside. We look so well educated. Uh, some of us are wealthy. Uh, we're doing well in life. Uh, we are, in fact, uh, as the news uh, um, uh, this week has have said, uh, that um, somebody was saying that uh, Ukraine is a civilized European uh, country. It's not like the other countries. We are well, We are civilized, aren't we? Um, yet, at the same time, if you look on the outside, um, that's all you see. On the, on the inside, there is a way to us. On the inside, there is a weight of sin that left to our own devices, we will always err uh, that way. We will always tend to sin and brokenness uh, because in us, uh, there is a weight of sin. Uh, humanity is uh, twisted. Humanity has a propensity towards sin. That is the story of mankind. But this morning, this is not the full story of humanity. Uh, I want to look at our passage this morning uh, in three different ways, uh, three different sides to the story of humanity. One side, which is what we've uh, already touched on, um, is that the crooked acts of crooked men. The crooked acts of uh, crooked men, that's one side of the story. The mighty acts of an almighty God, that's another side to the story. And then the last side to the story is the question that we all have to face, the question that still remains to this very same day. 
One, the crooked acts of crooked men. The other side of the story, the mighty act of an almighty God. That is what the book of Acts is all about. And then lastly, uh, the question that still remains today. The question that we all have to face. Uh, But before we get into this uh, three different sides to our story, I want to just give us a bearing of where we are in uh, in Acts. Uh, So we're in chapter 2. Martin last week touched on the story of Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost was a Jewish feast, uh, and at this feast, this particular one, after the ascension of Jesus, God pours out his spirit on people, uh, and they begin to speak in other languages. They begin to declare the wonders of God in Africans, in, in Setswana, in French. Uh, people who are not uh, natives of those languages begin to speak and glorify God in those languages. And then... As we would have it, people are amazed at the sight of this because it's a miracle. And they wonder into themselves, what is it that's happening here? And Peter goes on to explain what is happening here. So let me give you a summary because we're not going to touch on everything uh, in this uh, passage that was read. The summary of it is that Peter says that the, what you are seeing here, what's happening here is the outpouring of the Spirit. And the outpouring of God's Spirit is proof of the mighty acts of God, uh, that God has done a work through His uh, Son, Jesus Christ, a work to redeem the world and to bring it back to God, uh, that humanity uh, killed Jesus, they set Him on a cross, uh, yet God raised Him to life. And the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit are proof that Jesus is God and Lord over everything. That is what Peter's uh, sermon is all about. And then he goes on, if you see in our passage, he goes on and quotes uh, passages from the Old Testament. One from Joel, uh, talking about the God's outpouring of the Spirit on ordinary men and women, whether rich or poor, uh, whether young or old, male or female. God begins a new era by pouring out His Spirit on everyone. Uh, previously, that is not how God used to work. God used to work in the Old Testament by pouring his spirit on either kings and prophets, uh, the elite few. Uh, but in this era, the era after the ascension of Jesus, God pours out his spirit on everyone. He begins a new thing, a transformation of, of the world. Uh, and this is what, what is happening here. Have a look with me at verse 12 uh, that Martin covered last week. And all were amazed and perplexed, uh, that is, at the sight of the Pentecost uh, miracle, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, that is about nine o'clock, and news cafe is not open yet. Um, that's in, in the Greek, uh, if, you don't, um, if you don't see it in the text. Um, so Peter goes on to explain um, that these this men are not drunk, as uh, these guys thought, and he begins what we would call the first sermon uh, in early church, the first sermon uh, in um, in church history, and he goes on to talk about what God has done uh, through his this man Jesus Christ. How through this man Jesus Christ, God has set up a king and a lord who to rule uh, the world. Um, 
Not only has he done that, but he's also setting up a new community, which is called the church. And the church's mission, as Royden has reminded us, is to proclaim from Jerusalem to Judea to Medrand the complete uncontested reign and rule of Jesus Christ over the universe and over your life. That is what the church is about. That is what God is up to in our passage this morning. And that's the context of where we are. And that's the summary of uh, Peter's sermon. So let's, with that, with that in mind, let's get into our first, um, our first side to the story. Uh, and as Martin would say, uh, the first point is by far the longest. Um, so this is the crooked acts of crooked men uh, as we look at um, our text carefully. When you read through this uh, verse 14 to 36 that Michaela read for us, you'll see that there's a contrast between what God has done and what people have done. Uh, the crooked acts of crooked men, the mighty acts of a mighty God. Have a look at verse 23 as we look at the crooked acts of crooked men. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, have a look at the acts of crooked men. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Uh, Peter is saying with all boldness uh, to people, he must have had uh, courage from above, uh, that you guys killed Jesus at the hands of lawless men. Jump over to verse 36 as we see another act, crooked act of crooked men. Let all house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus whom you crucified. The crucifixion is uh, what I would call the ultimate crooked act of crooked men. The crucifixion, if you were ever to want to see how far humanity uh, would uh, go in rejecting God, uh, you'd look at the cross. Uh, at the cross, we see humanity ganged up together against God and against his anointed king. Uh, these are men and women who saw the acts of God, who um, saw Jesus walking about uh, healing people, who knew that there was something different about him, uh, but yet they laid him on a cross. Now, Peter is well aware that the people who, are talking, who he's talking to were not all involved in the plotting to, that led Jesus to the cross. Not, not all of them um, nailed those nails on that cross. Not all of them were there at the meeting where it was decided uh, to put uh, God to death. Yet he says, you guys killed Jesus. You men collectively uh, killed Jesus. You men of Israel killed Jesus. Why did they crucify him? Well, it's because they didn't like the things that he was saying. They didn't like what the, the message that he was saying. Because Jesus was pointing out sin and corruption in the hearts of religious people. Uh, Jesus was going around to the crooked and the twisted, welcoming them into his kingdom, uh, having supper with them, and saying to the Pharisees who were religious, that to such belongs the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of God is not for the world put together. It is for broken people. And of course, that message does not land well in a, a system of religion uh, that aims to, I guess, perform its way towards God. Jesus was bringing about a new way of being human, challenging the norms of society. And guess what? 
We don't like that as people. We don't like being told what to do. Uh, The Jews did not like being told what to do. Uh, The Jews did not like somebody who came to disrupt the norm, and they nailed him on that cross. And I think the, the thing this morning, we may look at them in judgment, but given the opportunity, every single one of us would do the same. Every single one of us, at the sight of a God who wants to have authority over our lives, we would choose to put him to death. In fact, um, a preacher once said that we all carry the nails of his crucifixion in our pockets. That is, that is us, um, humanity's combined effort against God. And that kind of crookedness continues to this age. In the 19th century, a German philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche uh, said this so well um, as he was looking at Europe and the intellectual killing of God uh, within European culture. Uh, he was seeing it coming from far, um, a world where uh, European culture no longer focused and was centered around Christian values, uh, but it was moving away from that. It was moving to an enlightenment period, a period where humanity was the master of their, de- their, their own destinies, a-, a period where morality was not so much something we got from God or the gods, uh, but something that we made ourselves as human beings. And so he came up with this um, parable of a madman who goes into the marketplace looking for God. Uh, this is the extract from uh, one of the well, uh, from that parable. He says, "Do we not hear anything yet of the noise of grave diggers who are burying God? Do we not smell anything yet of God's decomposition, God's to decompose? God is dead. God remains dead." And we have killed him. And you might not know this, but the thinking around the 19th century actually impacted the world that we live in today. We've killed God. Uh, We've taken him from the center of society, and we've put ourselves and our own intellect at the center. Given the opportunity, humanity will always, always uh, reject God. You'll hear it in the... In the thinking around um, 702, if C.B.S. Marquesas begins to talk about God, uh, he's anti-God, he believes that we can be moral without God. You'll hear it, perhaps you are a student from your university lecture, um, especially if you study in the humanities or philosophy um, of the death of God. This idea that Christianity is oppressive, in fact, will be a better society if we take the idea of God out of the picture. That's the society we live in. But as I was preparing, as I was leading through eggs, I'm like, shucks, man, it is so easy to talk about Nietzsche because he's not here to defend himself. Uh, he said God is dead, but God said Nietzsche is dead. Um, he, he's not here um, to defend himself. Eusebius Marquesa, he's not here. In fact, if you were to be here, I think you'd take me to the cleaners um, because he's such a good um, uh, oratory um, guy. He's such a great debater. Um, so you take me to the cleaners, he's not here, and I was thinking, this passage is actually not talking about people out there, it's talking about us who are sitting here. It is talking about our own rejection of God. And I wonder for you this morning, I wonder for myself, what are some of the patterns in our lives 
where we are putting God to death? What are some of those things that we are gravitating towards uh, that show um, to God that we don't want him at the center of our lives? What are some of the areas, perhaps, in your lives where you just want to shut God out? Generally speaking, there's two ways to do that. Uh, One way is to just outwardly say, I don't want God. I don't believe he exists. I'm an atheist. That's one way of killing God and putting him to death. But I think one of the most dangerous ways of putting God to death is through religion. It is through coming here every Sunday, uh, singing the songs, going through the motions, working out. Shucks, that was a powerful sermon. Or shucks, that was boring. I was thinking, when is he going to end? Um, whatever the case may be, you go, you come in and out, uh, but uh, there's nothing of a transformation in your life. Uh, there are areas where you just don't want God uh, to intervene. That is how we kill God. That is how we look put together, look like we're Christian, but meanwhile, there are certain areas of our lives that we put him to death. Um, what ways do we do that? I was thinking of a couple of ways we, we do that. One of the ways that we religiously get rid of God is by turning up the volume on certain issues and then turning down the volume of other areas, particularly areas that impact us, areas that God speaks to, areas where Jesus is king, but we just don't want him there. Let me give you an example of what I mean here. Um, I wonder if this might be you. Do you find yourself being passionate about uh, um, abortion or against abortion? Do you find yourself uh, being worked up as you think about our society and, and that is it has gone the abortion route? Uh, one of the reasons you may give for your upset, which is a biblical reason you should be upset, in fact, um, is the sanctity of human life. So you want to turn up the volume on abortion, our culture, and the sanctity of human life. I'm holding on to the sanctity of human life, but you don't see anything contradictory with having a medical aid for your kid and not for the person who cleans your house. I believe in the sanctity of human life. Do you see the contradiction there? Um, that we choose to elevate certain issues, but we downplay other issues uh, in our lives. You are passionate about corruption in government, uh, we should stop it, yet you go out bribing officials so that you can lend those tenders. Do you see how we can talk about these people? They make us feel good because they are corrupt, but we are not. It's okay. It's just 200 rand for cool drink. Our speeding, it is fine. Do you see how we can become part of the corruption in our society, yet excuse ourselves from that? Uh, bring, uh, turn up the volume on certain issues and then tone it down on other issues. Complain about racism at work, but yet you pay your foreign national an abhorring salary. The foreign national who works and takes care of your kids. Do you see the contradiction there? We turn up the volume on certain things and turn down the volume on certain things. The room is so quiet, I can feel the tension right now. (laughs) Rodin is coming back next week, don't worry. (laughs) One of the other ways that we we do this also, uh, one of the other ways that we rebel religiously is that the Bible starts sounding like 
us. Jesus starts sounding, sounding like us. So whether you're from uh, a guy from Tembisa or you're a guy from uh, the northern suburbs in Bryanston, Jesus starts to sound like you. He begins to embrace the, the, the values that you have. Um, Jesus feels like not so much the Lord over life, but he feels like a friend who stays in Vonavelli that you, now and again you visit, but it doesn't really challenge you um, challenge you to, to, to be different. So here's the test to you this morning. The question, when was the last time you heard a voice from God that went against your value systems? When was the last time you read something in the Bible and thought, shucks, this is hard. I don't really think I want to do that. When was the last time you were challenged to do something that you wouldn't normally do, something that makes you feel uncomfortable? Um, one of the authors I was listening to on Acts says that every time in, the, in Acts, every time the Spirit uh, descends, it calls people to do things that are difficult. It calls people to do things that are out of the ordinary. And I wonder for you, I wonder for me, when was the last time I even disagreed with Jesus? Like, I don't really want to live like that. One of the ways we see this rebellion is in how we treat one another, how we often see the sins of others and not the sins in our lives, how we often use the sins of our spouse as a whip for them. But when it comes to us, we expect mercy. We expect to be treated with grace. Um, I know you guys are spiritual. You've never experienced that. <laughs> but do you see how we can be faced with our sin, yet put down the volume on that? Because we just don't want God telling us what to do. We don't want God dictating um, um, our ways. That's a crooked uh, ways of crooked men. Crooked men want to do crooked things. And when you bring a God who wants to fix their crooked ways, when you send him to the world, they send him to a cross because they just don't want anything to do with him. Our first point is by far the longest, uh, which brings us to our second point, uh, the mighty act of an almighty God. Uh, and I love how my principal... Um, David Sercom, many of you may know him. I love how he puts it in his book called The Gospel of King Jesus. He says that the gospel is about the mighty working of God against the backdrop of human inability and even resistance. Let me say that again. The gospel is about the mighty working of God against the backdrop of human inability and even resistance. It just summarizes what we're talking about, that God is working but on the background, we are also working. We are also working to resist them. But even if we wanted to not resist them, we'd be powerless to do so. Even if we wanted to obey him, we would be powerless to obey him. Yet in the midst of that, in the midst of our crookedness, God is at work mightily, turning evil for good, uh, doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Let's have a look at a couple of verses that um, speak of the mighty acts of mighty uh, of an almighty God. Have a look at verse 36. Let all house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The mighty acts of God 
against the backdrop of human uh, resistance. You crucified Jesus, yet God made him alive. God made him both Lord and, and, and Christ. Have a look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did uh, through him in your midst. And you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God, verse 24, God raised him up, losing the pains of death, because it was impossible for him for him to be held by it. This God, his mighty acts are affirm, uh, sending Jesus to our world, affirms him uh, through, his, uh, through the Holy Spirit to do miraculous things. We crucify him. He raises him from the dead. And it is all in his plan. It is all planned out. That's why Peter goes on to quote verse after verse from the Old Testament to show us that this was always God's definite plan, that he would raise his son, that he would raise his king from David's line to come sit on the throne, to come rule over us, to come take charge of your life and my life. Verse 32, again this idea of the resurrection, again this idea fills the rest of Acts as the apostles go out and say, remember that guy who died on the Roman cross? Well, he's alive and he's king. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of, of that we are all witnesses. This Jesus that we crucified, God raised him up from the dead. How do you know that's true? How do we know that God has acted mightily? Well, there's so many things, there's so, many, so much evidence that we can give, but I think for me, the greatest evidence is this sermon itself. This sermon by a man called Peter. You guys remember who Peter is? Peter, a.k.a. The Rock. And this is one of the closest friends of Jesus. Uh, this is one who said, Jesus, no matter what happens, I'll be there for you. No matter what happens, I will be by your side. Uh, this same Peter who Jesus said, on Peter I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Uh, this same Peter who on the night Jesus was betrayed, a couple of guys came to him and said, weren't you, weren't you one of the guys that was walking around with Jesus? And he's like, no. Nah. <laughs> don't, don't disrespect me like that. I don't know this guy. I don't know this guy. I've never seen him up until today. Uh, and he rejected Jesus on that night. So how does a timid guy who on the face of death runs away and denies Jesus, get up and preach this powerful sermon. Something must have happened, uh, something of a resurrection nature, something massive must, must have happened for him to even end up being killed uh, in saying that Jesus is king. Uh, that, I think, for me, is proof enough uh, that indeed God has acted mightily and has brought Jesus uh, to life. And it also gives me comfort uh, to know that God uses people like Peter. God uses people like you and me, people who are weak, uh, to bring about his purposes. So we've seen the crooked acts of crooked men. We've seen the mighty acts of God. And finally, as we end off, uh, we want to see the question that still rings today. And that question is, what, what is your story? What is your story in all of that? In a world that pays evil with evil, 
in a world of hate, where hate gives birth to more hate, don't you just long for something different? Don't you long for God to put an end to all the evil? Don't you long for a God that we read for in Acts, who instead of paying evil for evil, bore that evil on himself on that cross and put an end to human crookedness and rebellion? A God who came to bring righteousness to a crooked world. The word righteousness in Hebrew tzaddik simply means straight. And Jesus has come to take crooked people and make them straight. He's come and done that uh, through the cross. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if there's something that you truly believe. Uh, Because many of us have lived life. And the thing about life is that when you live life, you see that sometimes it looks like evil always prevails. You, You hear the message of God. You hear that he's defeated evil. You just don't believe it. Because you've seen in your own life, evil always prevailing. But this God that we read about has come to put an end uh, to that evil. In a world that is uh, filled with brokenness, crookedness, and corruption, I wonder if you long for a world that is different. Jesus has come to bring that world. In his resurrection, we see something that God is doing. doing. He's bringing about newness into creation something radically different from the old creation. Uh, Through the resurrection of Jesus, we see a taste of God conquering our crooked world and bringing about life in a dead situation, bringing hope where there is no hope. And maybe you came in this morning and you felt like there's just no hope in your life, no hope for your marriage. You just don't believe that it can come back to life. Perhaps you have an addiction and you're just like, man, I hear you talking, but I've given up. My sin is too deep. The God of acts, the God who works mightily, brought Jesus from the dead. If he can do that, I wonder if you believe that he can transform your life. I wonder if you truly believe that he can help you in your sin. I wonder what is your story. In a world, as we end off, that is filled with performance, with self-help books um, that tell you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. In a world of performance, I wonder if you believe that God loves you for you. Perhaps you don't believe it because nobody has ever loved you for you. Not your parents. You've had to perform for them. You have to perform for your friends to fit in. You have always thought about church as performing so that God can accept you. The thought of failure cripples you because it goes to the heart of your idolatry, which is performance and being accepted. The God of the Christian story meets us where we are in our crookedness and twistedness. He takes us as we are in our twisted ways, but never leaves us as we are. I wonder if that's the God you believe in this morning. Let me pray for us. Dear God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for your mighty acts um, in human history. We praise you for uh, the ultimate act of uh, raising Jesus from the dead, affirming him as Lord and as King, And we do confess our brokenness and our sin that we don't always um, see him as king. 
Father, forgive us because we are crooked. We have gone our own way and we followed our own crooked desires. We've neglected you as the one who is in charge of our world. So I pray for us. I pray for someone who's coming in who's not familiar with church, that they would hear about the Lordship of Jesus and would want to hear more. I pray for someone who comes in week in, week out, who might be callous in whatever area of their life. I pray that you'd bring life to that area, that you'd convict them of their brokenness and that you'd give them so much grace that they would be motivated to live for you. Father, please help us as we step out into this world to live upright lives. And without the help of your spirit, without the enablement of your spirit, we cannot do it. Uh, So save us, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.